Well, church family, today we are going to be talking about the topic of faith, and I thought um, we could begin with a little exercise in faith, and here's how it's going to work. I'm going to actually give you some headlines, um, and you have to determine whether you believe me or not, because some of them are real and some I made up. All right, so I'm going to read some headlines in just a moment, and so you can say, well, I believe that, or you can say, I doubt it, Pastor Dudley. Okay, are you, are you good? Okay, here's the first headline. Here it is. Electric eel powers aquarium's Christmas lights. Now, how many of you would say, I believe that? You'd be right. That's an actual headline. I found it. It, it was online. It has to be true, but it's actually a headline <laughs> that was published in a paper. Okay, here's another one. All right, ready? Farmer in India paints dog to look like a tiger to protect his coffee crops from monkeys. Now, how many of you would say, I doubt that? Okay, how many of you would say, oh, I believe that? Well, you'd be right. Again, I mean, truth is stranger than fiction. Okay, guy painted his dog to look like a tiger. I don't know what kind of dog it was. But anyway, here's another one. Um, church elder moonlights as Elvis impersonator at local nightclub. Okay, how many of you would say, I doubt that? Uh, you'd be right. I made that one up. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, here's another. Um, Jesus' action figure heals the sick. Jesus' action figure heals the sick. How many of you think that was an actual headline? It was. An actual headline. And here's the last. Man struck by lightning files lawsuit against God. How many of you go, I, nobody do that. Actually, a lot of people have filed lawsuits against God, as strange as it may seem. Now, faith is such an important for us to talk about because what you believe or don't believe shapes your life. Isn't that true? And in particular, what you believe or don't believe about God shapes every aspect of your life. So here's a big question. Well, what is faith? Well, here's how the Bible defines it. This is in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. It says this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light, and there was light. The universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen, what we actually see in the night sky, was not made out of what was visible. God created everything out of nothing. It takes faith to believe that, doesn't it? And then it goes on in verse 6 to say this, and without faith, it is difficult to please God. What does it say? It is impossible. It is impossible to please God without faith. Why? Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know, one of the deepest desires of my heart is simply this. I want to please God. And I hope this morning that's a desire in your heart, that you want to please God. That's my desire for our church family, that we will please God. But what does it take to please God? It's what we're talking about today. Five letters starts with an F. It takes faith. Because without faith, what does the scripture say? It is impossible. It is impossible to please God. And then it goes on to say this. For, and here's the reason, anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, maybe this morning you're here and you're seeking God. You know, maybe you've been coming to church for a while, or maybe this is a new experience for you, but you're, you're trying to figure out what this Christian faith is all about. What does it mean to, to worship a God you can't see? I mean, doesn't that seem kind of strange that we're doing that here this morning, that we're singing to a God we can't see, that we've given our lives to a Savior who, who died 2,000 years ago, that we've never met in person? 
And, and here's why I bring that up, because in our culture, when you talk about faith, people often have this perspective that faith is the opposite of reason. You know, that if you're a Christian, it's like taking this blind leap of faith in the dark. But here's the reality. Faith is dependent on reason. Think about that. Faith is dependent on reason. Let me give you just a real simple example. Um, I believe that God made my body. Now, that's by faith. I believe that God made my body, but that's a reasonable assumption. And here's why it's reasonable. Is there design in your body? What, what do you think? I mean, obviously. I mean, we've got all these systems, right? You've got a circulatory system, a nervous system, an immune system, right? and all these systems are fully integrated. I mean, think about your cells. Every single cell in your body has this sophisticated and elegant genetic code called what? DNA. I mean, did that happen by itself? And your eyes like a sophisticated camera? Just your foot. I mean, this is pretty amazing. The architecture of the bones in your foot is an engineering marvel. So when I look at my body, I go, man, this is an incredible design. Therefore, I use my reason and my mind to reach the conclusion there must be a what? A designer. Because how can you have design without a designer? And this designer, God, reveals himself to the people he's designed, the people he's made. And he does that in a number of ways. God reveals himself through creation. I mean, you can just look at the stuff that God made and say, you know, God is powerful. God is a genius. God is an artist. The creation tells us about God. And God also reveals himself in this book we call the Bible. There are stories that tell us about God, who he is, what his purposes and plans are for us. And then God also reveals himself most fully in the person of Jesus Christ, whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. And so when you think about it, Christianity is a very reasonable faith because the two go together, faith and reason. And that makes sense because when God tells us what's most important, he says, hey, I want you to love me with all your heart and with all your what? All your mind. And so this life of following Jesus is a life of reason, but it is also a life of faith. Now, there's a lot of people that have taken the letters F-A-I-T-H and made different acronyms, but here's one of my favorites. It's by a lady called Corey. Her name is Corey Ten Boom. She survived the Nazi concentration camp, and it's there on your outline. Faith is a fantastic adventure in following him. Isn't that beautiful? A fantastic adventure in following God. But here's the thing. Sometimes during this fantastic adventure of following God, we end up in a place we never thought we would be. Sometimes the pain pours into our life, and it seems like God is nowhere to be found. Now, this morning, I want you to think with me about a very important question on your outline. What causes a crisis of faith? A crisis of faith. And here's the answer. Something happens in your life or in the life of somebody you love that challenges what you believe about God. Something you don't understand, something that hurts deeply, something that causes you to doubt that God's in charge, that God cares, that God even sees what's happening in your life. This past Sunday, my wife Chris and I had the opportunity to be um, with another church family. I know the pastor there. His name is Jeremy King, and he pastors Truth Point Church and they meet here in West Palm Beach. But our, our daughter, Nora Kate, was being baptized, and we wanted to be there and be a part of that celebration. But it was really interesting because as the pastor began the service, and even as I greeted him that morning, I could tell that his heart was really heavy and that he was really sad. And he started the service by telling us what the sadness was all about. One of the people on their worship team, a young man named Carter in his early 20s, 
had been involved in a really serious boating accident. This happened on Thanksgiving Day. He was snorkeling, and a boat hit him. And the propeller severed his right arm. And this is a, a young man who plays bass and piano. But his right arm was amputated, and then his legs were severely damaged. And they got him to the hospital, saved his life. But now he's trying to, to travel this road. And for Carter, um, it's a situation where I believe he's going to experience what you might call a crisis of faith. And certainly that's true of his mom and his dad and other people. God, why? And isn't that true when these stories, and they happen all the time, don't they? I mean, sometimes they're on the news and sometimes they're up close and personal. And we go, God, why did this happen? Why now? Why this person? Why me? And sometimes these events not only rock our world, they rock our faith. Now, today, I want you to look at this question on your outline. How do you deal with a crisis of faith? And this is really important because in the Christmas story, there's a young couple, and they're dealing with a crisis of faith. Events happen in their lives that they don't understand, and they have to decide whether they're going to keep trusting God. Now, the Christmas story is familiar to, to many of us. You know the story of Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. But I pray and I hope this morning we'll look at it through different eyes so that we can understand more fully this idea of what it means to have faith in God. So here's um, part of the story. This is in Matthew um, chapter 1 beginning with verse 18. And it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And then the story continues. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you, Joseph, or to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, I believe that when Joseph first discovered that Mary's pregnant, he has a crisis of faith. I mean, there must have been all kinds of doubts in his mind. I mean, obviously, he doesn't believe Mary initially, because what's he planning to do? Yeah, he's going to divorce her. And in that Jewish culture, engagement was so serious that it could only be broken by divorce. But their engagement is not the only thing that's broken. Joseph has a broken heart. I mean, he's thinking, how could Mary do this to me? How could she mess up the plans that we made for a life together? And how can he even begin to understand what the angel says? Hey, um, there's not another man in the picture. This baby has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Really? And so clearly, Joseph is facing this crisis of faith. Now, how does he deal with it? How do you? I mean, how do you handle a situation that rocks your world when there's an accident, when there's an illness, when there's a divorce, when there's a death? And church family, some of you have been through this experience of having a crisis of faith. Some of you may be going through it right now. And for some of us, it may be around the bend. So this morning, I want us to look at this question, what do you do when you have a crisis of faith? Because the scripture really helps us. And here's the first principle that I want you to see. Believe that God has a purpose for your pain. Believe that God has a purpose for your pain. When I was a, a paramedic and a firefighter, um, I had a lot of rescue calls, um, thousands and thousands, and some of them really, you know, stand out in my mind. And one of the ones that I, I remember very vividly was when we got a call for a shooting, 
And uh, the address was a local bank, and we got there, and this guy's on the sidewalk, and he'd been shot in the chest. And so we, uh, you know, go over and start to assess the situation. And it's clear from the uh, location um, and the fact that this guy is really in serious respiratory distress that this is a, a very serious situation. So the first thing I do is I break out a you know, big needle to start an IV on this guy. First thing he says to me, he says, is it going to hurt? And I'm thinking to myself, you just got shot in the chest, man. You can barely breathe. Are you worried if this needle's going to hurt? And I said, yes, it's going to hurt. And he says, why do you have to do it? And I'm going, wow, um, because you're bleeding and you're about a quart low and I got to put some fluids in you. And, but the thing is, he wanted to know the purpose for his pain. If you're going to hurt me, I want to know why. And then we get the guy to the emergency room and the ER doctor, you know, realizes that this guy's going downhill fast. So he, he picks up um, a chest tube and he's going to, you know, put the tube in the side of this guy's chest with no anesthesia. And the guy says, hey, is it going to hurt? <laughs> and the doc goes, man, you bet it's going to hurt. And he goes, why are you going to do that? And the doctor just smiles and says, to save your life. Now, see, sometimes in emergency medicine, you have to actually cause pain to help your patient. Now, why do you do that? Because you know that, well, even if the patient doesn't know it, that there is a purpose for the pain. Now, God is the great physician. And whenever there is pain that pours into the life of one of his children, there's always a purpose behind it. Now, think about this. Think about, you know, the perspective of Joseph. I mean, did, did God have a purpose for the emotional pain that was pouring into Joseph's life? Because that really hurt, right? Did God have a purpose for that pain? Well, we know because we know the whole story. Yeah, God certainly had a purpose for that. What about Mary? Did God have a purpose for the pain in her life? I mean, the pain of being ridiculed and rejected because she's an unwed mother. The, the, the pain of watching her son grow up and be brutally beaten and murdered. I mean, did God have a purpose for that? Because it sure didn't seem like it at the time. And what about Jesus himself? What about the pain that poured into Jesus' life? The, the physical pain, the emotional pain, the spiritual pain. Well, the Bible is so crystal clear about this. There's a verse, I'm going to show it to you in just a minute. It's in Luke chapter 9. It's, a, it's about an event that happens before Jesus goes to the cross. He goes to the top of this mountain. And on the top of this mountain, he takes just a moment to reveal his true identity to his three closest disciples in an event called the Transfiguration, where he shows them that he is actually God who's come in the flesh. Now, I want you to check out this verse. This is such a powerful verse in Luke chapter 9. It, it says this, There were Moses and Elijah, and this is talking about on top of the mountain, who appeared in heavenly glory and talked with Jesus. Now, what are they talking about? Well, about the way in which he would soon fulfill God's purpose by dying in Jerusalem. Now, why did Jesus have to die? What was the purpose behind that pain? Well, so that we could live. And church family, this is the story of Christmas, isn't it? It's what we celebrate, that Jesus came to our world. Why did he come? Because we were in serious trouble, because we were hopeless and helpless, because our sin had separated us from God, and because God's holy, he's got to punish our sin, and we either pay the price ourselves by being separated forever from God, or we allow Jesus to pay the penalty for us by going to a cross, and that's what happens. After living a perfect life, Jesus dies on a cross, to pay for our sins. He rises from the dead. He says, hey, come follow me and I will give you a new life. Now, let me ask you this. Is the life of following Jesus an easy, carefree, pain-free life? We know the answer to that. Of course not. It's a life 
where we share in the suffering of Jesus. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Jesus is a suffering king. We share in his suffering, but he's a victorious king, so we share in his victory. But this life that we live is a life of faith. And that life of faith is often running headlong into circumstances that we don't understand. Why, God, is this happening to me? Why is this happening to somebody that I love? C.S. Lewis, many of you know that name. He was a, a Christian author. He said this about pain. He said, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Let me ask you this. Has God ever used pain to get your attention? Man, he's done that many times in my life. God uses pain to get our attention, but you know what? There are times when we just go, God, you got my attention, but I still don't understand what in the world is going on here. So when we find ourselves in that place, this is what we need to do, and this is on your outline. Trust God's wisdom rather than your own understanding. Trust God's wisdom rather than your own understanding. Here's a, a classic verse about this from the book of Proverbs. It says this, trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? Yeah, all your heart, and, and do not lean on your own understanding. Why? Because if you lean on your own understanding, you're liable to do what? To fall down flat on your face. Now, here's the question. Why do we need to trust God with all of our heart? And here's the answer. Because faith overcomes fear. Think about that. When you trust God with all of your heart, <clears throat> it overcomes your fear. And, and what emotion is Joseph dealing with? He's, he's fearful. And that's why the angel says this. Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. What's he afraid of? That he's not the dad? That there's another man in her life? And so the angel says, here's why you shouldn't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save their, his people from their sins. Now at this point, Joseph wakes up, and he's got a choice to make. It's pretty clear, right? Either he believes this message from the angel, as crazy as it might sound, or he leans on his own understanding. And what does he choose to do? We know the answer. He chooses to trust God. He chooses to live in faith. And see, that's the same choice that we make, isn't it? When life really hurts, when, when things are confusing, when we don't understand why, we can either trust what God says in his word or we can try to lean on our own limited understanding. Now here's another key, another way to handle a crisis of faith. Stay connected to friends who have faith. Stay connected to friends who have faith. One of my favorite cartoon strips is Peanuts. And uh, there was a, a cartoon strip I saw one time where Peppermint Patty, is, she's talking to Marcy, and she says, um, I, I'd like to read this book, Marcy, but I'm kind of afraid. I had a grandfather who didn't think much of reading. He always said that if you read too many books, your head would fall off. And Marcy responds, she says, you start the first chapter, and I'll hold on to your head. That's what friendship's about, isn't it? I'll hold on to your head, I'll hold on to your heart, and we'll get through this together. And that's what the scripture is telling us to do in this beautiful verse from Galatians. Share each other's troubles and problems, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love one another the way I've loved you. Listen, when your faith falters, when, when it's hard, to go on, and you're, and you're drowning in doubt, it's so good to hold on to a friend who has faith. Isn't that true? And I know many of you have experienced that. And I'll tell you what, I am 
so thankful for the friends that God has put in my life who have strong faith. Because there are times when my faith is weak and I need to hold on to them and, and hold on to the faith they have in God. And that's certainly true in a marriage. You know, one of the, the benefits of having a believing spouse is that sometimes when your faith is weak, their faith is strong. And I can't tell you how many times my wife, Chris, has come alongside me and said, hey, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. We can trust God. And I hold on to her and I hold on to her faith. And listen, in marriage, that is so important. You need faith in a marriage. When you doubt your marriage is going to make it, you need faith. When you doubt your kids are going to make it, you need faith. When you doubt that you're going to make it, you need faith. And I had somebody ask me this question um, one time. Well, Pastor Dudley, what happens when a husband and a wife both are in the ditch? When both of them are struggling with faith, I said, well, that's when you need friends around you that can lift you up. And the question was, where do you find friends like that? The answer, in your church family. Because we are a community of faith. Faith that can help each other. Now, let me give you one more key to dealing with a crisis of faith, and this is on your outline, follow God's instructions. Follow God's instructions. I read an article this week about warnings and instructions that are included on items we buy. And, of course, the instructions are there to protect people but also to minimize the risk of lawsuits because you're supposed to have read the instructions. But some of them are so comical. Here's one that I read. It, this was on a baby stroller. It said, remove child before folding. <laughs> I'm glad you told me that. <laughs> Here's another. This, this is, these are just kind of crazy. Um, this was on a cartridge for a laser printer. It said, do not eat toner. Okay. I'll make sure I don't do that. Here's another. This was on an electric router. It said, this product is not intended <laughs> for use as a dental drill. Really? I mean, who would do that? And here's, here's like my favorite. Okay, this was in a sporting goods store. Um, it was on a fishing lure. And it said this. It said, harmful if swallowed. <laughs> well, yeah, for the fish, but don't you swallow it either. It's like, seriously? But why do manufacturers put these warning labels on their products to protect people? Why does God give us instructions in his word to protect us, especially in times of crisis? And do you know what the, uh, the letters B-I-B-L-E stand for? You may have heard this. This is another acronym. Basic instructions before leaving earth. B-I-B-L-E. Because God has given us instructions about how to live on this earth. And when Joseph faces a crisis in his life, God gives him very clear instructions. Just check this out. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. He followed God's instructions. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he followed God's instructions and gave him what name? The name Jesus. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, it, it's simply this. When you face a financial crisis, what should you do? Well, you should trust God and follow his instructions. If you're facing a crisis in a relationship, what do you do? You trust God and follow his instructions. When you're facing a crisis of faith, what do you do? You trust God and follow his instructions. And realize this. God's instructions may contradict the advice of a friend or what you read in a self-help book or what you, you know, see on a TV talk show. But here's what you need to do. Clearly understand what God is calling you to do and then have the faith to do it because that's what Joseph does. Even though it was really hard, even though his heart may have been pulling him in a different direction emotionally, he decided to do what God commanded. It's like this guy, he comes to his pastor and says, hey, pastor, um, I'm going to divorce my wife. And the pastor says, well, can you tell me a little bit more about your situation? And the guy says, yeah, you know, I just, I don't 
you know, love her the way I used to love her, and she's not meeting my needs, if you know what I mean. And we argue all the time, so we're going to get a divorce. And the pastor says, well, you know, um, as a follower of Jesus, it says right here in the book that you're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And he goes, I can't possibly do that. That is, that's too high a standard. The pastor goes, well, how about this? Because this instruction is in the book, too. Um, love your neighbor as yourself. Can you love your wife as you would love a neighbor. He goes, well, we don't even sleep in the same bedroom anymore, so she's really not my neighbor. Pastor thinks for a minute. He says, okay, how about this? The Bible says, love your enemies. Can you start there? Church, God has given us instructions in his word to protect us in times of crisis. And I was thinking this week about about Joseph and how he was a man of remarkable faith. You know, tradition tells us that Jesus died. Um, Jesus died, actually, when he was 33, but Joseph died when Jesus was a teenager. So he never saw Jesus carry out his mission in this world. But I've thought, you know, he, he followed the instructions of the angel. He gave this child the name Jesus, which means God saves. And he must have said that name over and over again. Hey, Jesus, would you hand me that nail? Hey, Jesus, go help your mother. Hey, Jesus, um, would you take care of your brother or your sister? Hey, Jesus, good night, son. I love you. Joseph never lived to see God's promise of a Savior fulfilled, but he still lived in faith that one day that would happen. And that's true of all the people that we read about in the Old Testament. God says, hey, a Savior's coming. I- I'm going to come rescue you. But they died. And they still weren't rescued, but they never gave up their faith. They always believed that God would someday honor that promise. And think about us. We live in this unique period of history. Jesus has already come, right? We're celebrating that at Christmas time. Is he coming back? Church, is Jesus coming back? Yes. And see, do you really believe that? Yeah, I believe it with all my heart. And here's the thing. We live in this time where the kingdom of God has come, but it's not what it one day will be. We live in a world that is broken and filled with pain, and the question is, okay, Jesus, you left me here, but how am I supposed to live? And here's the answer, in faith, not in fear. And I know this. We all battle with fear, don't we? And maybe this morning there's, you know, fears in your heart. Maybe you're afraid that you're not going to have enough money uh, for Christmas. Maybe... There's the fear that you're going to maybe lose your job in the new year, the fear that there's a health issue that you don't even know about that you may have to deal with, the fear that your marriage isn't going to make it, the fear that you're not going to make it. This is interesting. The most often repeated command in the whole Bible is two words. Do you know what they are? Exactly. Fear not. Fear not. How is it possible, Jesus, to actually do that. How is it possible to live in faith and to fear not? I want you to look on your outline because this is really important. And I want you to think about this, not just for the next few minutes, but take this with you today. All right, these two questions. And here's the first. What do I need to believe today? And you can ask yourself that. You know, what do I need to believe? And you can say, God, what do I need to believe? That you love me? That you're really in charge? That you care? That you're never going to bail on me? What do I need to believe today? And here's the second question to consider. What do I need to do today? When it comes to faith, what do I need to do? And listen, there are things you can do to strengthen your faith. Just real quickly, one of the things you can do to strengthen your faith is read the book. Because there are stories in this book that were designed to build and strengthen our faith. Because we read the story and we realize God is faithful. Nothing can stop the plan and the purposes of God. And that doesn't just apply to the people in the book. It applies to you and me. 
So reading the book builds our faith. Here's another thing. You can exercise the faith you have. And you might say, well, I have just a little bit of faith. Well, then exercise that little bit of faith. Because faith is like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it becomes. And here's the third thing. You can talk to God and say, God, you know, my faith is so weak right now. Would you please give me more faith? Would you please help me trust you and believe that you're in charge of my life? You can pray and ask God for more faith. Because this is, this is really the bottom line. This is the bottom line. The Bible says that when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that you walk by faith and not by sight. Now, how do you do that? How do you walk by faith and not by sight? Well, when you walk, it's one foot after another, right? One step, right, left. Here's how you walk by faith. Here's how you move forward in faith. You trust God, and then you obey God. And then you just keep doing that. Trust God, obey God. Trust God, obey God. That is the walk of faith. And when you trust God and obey God, you will please God. And you will discover the life that he's called you to live, a life of faith, a fantastic adventure in trusting him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this adventure of of trusting you with everything in our lives. God, I pray this morning for the person who's never stepped across that line of faith. Lord, I pray that, that even today, they would just come to you and say, Jesus, I need you so much. I'm so tired of being afraid. And so I want to come and tell you that I know that I'm a sinner. I failed in so many ways. I believe you died for me to pay for my sins. You came back to life, and I want to follow you. God, you always, always respond to that prayer. And you always come and rescue us. Thank you for that. And Lord, I pray for the dear people in, in our church family this morning that are struggling with, with all kinds of situations. And maybe right now, today, somebody is, is saying, my, my faith is, is weak and I have so many doubts and I have so many fears. Lord, would you please strengthen our faith? Would you please remind us that just as Jesus was born that first Christmas, he is coming back. And when he does, he's going to make all things right and all things new and he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. But God, until that day arrives, help us to keep trusting you and obeying you and living in faith so that we can please you and so that others, God, will see our faith and put their hope and their trust in Jesus. For we pray in his name, amen. Church, we're going to sing a, a Christmas song to close our service. And it's such a beautiful song, and it invites us to come and see what God has done in the birth of his son, but it also points us to the fact